Greetings from Lutherans Outdoors in South Dakota. This is Mara Stilson, Marketing Director for Lutherans Outdoors, coming at you with another episode of The Lowdown. Mary Kettle has been captivating campers of all ages through her riding and on horseback for decades. On this special episode of The Lowdown, Mary shares three of her stories adapted for these strange times. Her stories will remind you of being home at your camps. Enjoy this episode of The Lowdown. I'm Mary Kettle. When I'm not riding a horse at Outlaw or bossing children around in school, I write stories. And Mara Stilson at Lutheran's Outdoors asked if I'd read a few. My first story is called A Letter from Camp, and it's about the fun of being an older person working at camp, which is why we're sitting on these particular chairs. This one for Bill Myers, you've seen at Outlaw, and the other one for Ed Jindra. We've known so many wonderful older people who have worked at camp, and I'm proud to be one of them. Called A Letter from Camp. This summer is the first summer in decades that I haven't been working at camp. Over 32 years and four camps, both Lutheran and Girl Scout flavored, I have been a counselor, outdoor cook, director, wrangler, and support staff person experiences that are reflected in my collection of 138 gaudy t-shirts and a penchant for appearing in public with marshmallow paste in my hair. At 55, I'm not the oldest person in camp. We have other support staff in their 60s and 70s, but I do have fillings that are older than most of the young people that we work with. The counselors who are 19 and 20, sometimes 21, regard us with gentle amusement, especially during lunchtime conversations that range from colleges and cars at one table to insurance premiums and Medicare at other tables. Meanwhile, at a third table, someone gently explains to someone else that hip hop is not a chain of pancake restaurants. What they don't know is how much fun it is to be an older person working at camp. Older persons at camp, O-P-A-C, or as we like to call ourselves, the OPEX, are easy to spot. We're the ones wearing sensible shoes and combining sunscreen formulas to achieve that desired SPF 800. We sport clip-on shades over our glasses and we wear ridiculously high-waisted shorts. But we can drive manual transmissions and we can back up trailers. We know what mops are for. During the CPR videos, we pay especially close attention because that could be us. I started going to camp because of horses. While I was neither Lutheran nor a Girl Scout at the time, I was willing to wear sashes or talk about Reformation for a chance to go to camp and ride their horses. Really, I would have gotten a rash and gone to allergy camp just for a chance to ride. I worked for Outlaw and Atlantic Mountain Ranches in South Dakota during college, and later I was a riding director for a Girl Scout camp in Wisconsin, which means I spent a lot of my camping career discussing the digestive habits of large hairy mammals. I also spent four summers at a Girl Scout camp in Alaska, which 
although it didn't have horses, did have many fine glaciers. Luckily, I've always liked glaciers, although not enough to go to glacier camp. Packing for camp has changed a lot in the last three decades. When I was 10, I thought that clean underwear and a bag of Cinnamon Jolly Ranchers were the key to popularity and safety. As a college staff, I took the usual things like a flashlight, a raincoat, and 16 pounds of deodorant. These days, the 20-year-olds show up with laptops, cell phones, iPods, iPads, and satellite dishes, what makes it hard for me to find a place to plug in my heating pad. While the young people open up their Instagrams and upload their pictures, the rest of us open prescriptions and upload our pill boxes. Adjusting to camp life can sometimes be challenging for older people at camp. I don't mind eating in community or showering twice a week. My problem is I like to read at night in my cabin where I am surrounded by 92,000 moths, all of which are determined to see what page I'm on. Huddled in the bottom of my sleeping bag with a flashlight so dim that I might as well be reading by the light of distant planets, my comprehension declines considerably. As an OPAC, I like to offer my opinion on practically everything from horses to food to program activities. It is my deeply held belief that if people would just do what I say, they would be much happier. After so many years at this camp, I have already dropped, broken, backed over, fallen off, lost, or set on fire practically everything that I warn people about. You would think that being named girl most likely to need a tetanus shot would carry some weight around here. As it is, the staff just humor me. Yes, yes, ketchup is dangerous. We promise not to run with it. When I try to explain how we ran camp in the olden days, they just ignore me again. Sure, you guys used to have fun with rocks, but we have Frisbees now. One of my favorite parts of camp is the singing. Having played guitar for Lutherans and Girl Scouts for so many years, I know hundreds of songs about the Holy Spirit, women's empowerment, and the place of all God's critters in the choir. Unfortunately, it's the silly songs that stick in my head and pop out unbidden months later in line at the pharmacy. Called myself up on the phone just to see if I was home. I can't remember my social security number or my banking password from day to day, but I will be ho 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 hosanning and ha ha hallelujahing until the end of time. If you had told me 30 years ago that I would still be at camp with my horse, wearing an ugly t-shirt and combing my hair slightly to the left to cover the marshmallow, I would not have believed it. And if you had told me last year that I would not be here gathering horses, dispensing helpful advice, I would not have believed that either. And so I'm telling you now, we will be here again. The old and the young, the staff, the campers, all of us. We will light fires and chase children. We will drink coffee and tie-dye t-shirts. We will eat, 
and pray and admire each other's babies again. And we will sing. Oh, how we will sing. This story is called The Mushroom Collection. The mirror in my cabin was not very big, only about 12 by 18 inches, but it was unexpectedly ornate with an elaborately carved fake wood frame and decorative finials on each corner. It looked like a storybook mirror, the kind you might hang above a little girl's dresser. The fact that it was nailed to two studs in a plywood cabin with a tin roof made it extra funny. And apparently, a good hiding place, which I discovered one night when I noticed what looked like a mushroom sticking out from between the wall and the mirror. Investigating further, I pulled out 14 more dried mushrooms and laid them in a row on my desk. In the glow of my lantern, they were perfect, each about three inches tall, each with a beige stem and a vivid magenta top. Somebody had worked very hard on this collection. Living in the woods, I'm always aware of the rummage sale activities of the wildlife around us. We clean squirrel and mice nests out of our buildings each spring, and then we watch as our furry neighbors pile up stuff, pine cones, bones, pieces of string, bits of plants, other animals' TV remotes, just waiting for us to move out again. Occasionally, some creature scurries by with something of ours, gophers trailing grain from my barn, squirrels carrying friendship bracelets and pieces of candy. Once a marmot was discovered to be harboring, harboring fluffy red yarn and a tiny teacup underneath the fort. But this mushroom cache was still impressive. Although I work at a church camp, my scriptural insights tend to be of the rise and shine and give God the glory, glory type. But the stash of mushrooms on my desk reminded me of the Bible study text from that week. It was the one where God tells Moses to tell the people not to hog all the manna that was falling in the wilderness. Manna, you may remember, was the tasty cornflake-like substance that God had caused to fall in the desert when the Israelites were complaining and wishing that they had never left the food courts and falafel stands of Egypt. Advised to take only what they needed, the Israelites promptly rushed out and gobbled up every bit of manna they could find, transforming it into manna hot dish, banana manna bread, and red jello with chunks of manna in it. God's point was that the people should trust their creator to provide for them each day, that really this wasn't God's first rodeo. But of course, the people didn't pay attention. The Israelites who hoarded manna and didn't share saw the excess go bad almost immediately. And by the next day, they couldn't even give those boxes of Malto manna away. This just irritated God, who then refused to stop and ask for directions, which is why the Israelites wandered for 40 years through a desert the size of Iowa and never found the interstate. I probably would have annoyed God, I thought, imagining myself out there with a bucket collecting extra manna just in case. I've always been a planner, a rationer, 
someone who worries incessantly about the future. Between teaching school and working at camp, I have never been poor or hungry for even 15 minutes. But in the back of my head, I'm always doing an inventory, making and checking lists I've made and checked 1,800 times over the last months as a health emergency, civil unrest, and a catastrophic lack of leadership have made desert wandering and manna gathering look like the good old days. I know that I'm luckier than most people. I have a job, I'm healthy, but I still have worried every single day, as so many people have for months or years, as some people have all their lives. My part of the collective fatigue of a nation is tiny, but palpable. We know that economies rebound and that even long desert journeys come to an end, but it's hard to trust when the next spring will appear, when the next manna will be delivered. And so that night in my cabin, I looked at the mushrooms on my desk and then picked them up and carefully stacked them back in behind the mirror. I would be gone in a week or two, but whoever had stowed these mushrooms was counting on that treasure to be there for the winter. For a moment, I scanned my shelf, wondering what else I had to offer. Dental floss, a watch that didn't work, a couple of antidepressants. I rummaged through the pockets and found two pieces of bubble gum, stale, but still in their wrappers. I added these to the mushroom collection and turned off my lamp. Be of good courage. The manna is always going to be there. We miss you. Saved by horses. There are days when my horse feels like a part of my pants. This is not to say that my pants make rumbling sounds and attract a lot of flies, although some days this is also true. What I mean is that there are days when riding Scout feels like I am just gliding over the ground. I hardly have to use my reins or my heels. I just have to think a direction, and she is already there. If you ask Scout, she would probably say that this kind of intuitive relationship comes from many years of open communication and goal setting, having a clear mission statement, and no, she wouldn't. If horses could roll their eyes, Scout would be the first one to make fun of me and my imaginary cowboy life. She herds Lutherans, I imagine her saying over lunch with her other horse friends, the kind, droopy-lipped geldings and stern, grandmotherly mares who staff our camp riding programs. We haven't gone near a cow in five years. Sometimes... I pretend to be afraid of ducks just to see how long I can get her to hold on to the saddle horn. I watch these horses over the fence sometimes, swishing their tails and occasionally glancing back at me, and I can almost hear them snickering. Horses, I was surprised to learn, were originally hunted for food by ancient peoples in Asia. This was in the way olden days before Chinese takeout was invented. It was only after several centuries of eating pony baloney that someone finally got the idea of climbing up on a horse and trying to ride him in a parade. An idea that worked less well with cattle and not at all with tuna fish sandwiches. 
Horses went on to help the Mongolians and the Romans conquer the world and to make movies like Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments much more exciting than if the chariots had been pulled by, say, Cocker Spaniels. My own love affair with horses began when I was four or five. Because I'm from Wyoming and because I'm a camp wrangler, people often assume I grew up on a ranch, which wasn't the case at all. My mother was a kindergarten teacher. We lived in town, and she was not interested in raising livestock any larger than a dachshund. Like many little kids, I made up for a lack of a real horse in my life by pretending to be one myself. This was troubling for my second grade teacher, who did not know which reading group to place the winning, head-shaking kettle girl in. When I explained to Mrs. Rouser that I was Pegasus, the winged horse of mythology, she nodded, and she asked if perhaps I could just flap my wings a little bit carefully while we were indoors. And then she put me in the reading group for weird children. My dream of working with horses came true at Outlaw and Atlantic Mountain Ranches. And eventually, years later, I got my own horse. Scout was three years old then, and which in horse years means that she had the common sense and disposition of a middle schooler with a box of bottle rockets. Riding a young horse taught me many things, the most important lesson being that I would never do this again. For weeks, we practiced things like going forward while I held onto the horn with both hands and tried not to cry every time Scout backed into a fence. We were both hard-headed she because she was young and didn't know better, and I because I had lost a grip on several things in my life that year, and I was determined that I wouldn't be beaten by a horse. It was not a good beginning, and it should have ended badly, but we were saved by grace in the form of a summer job leading trail rides at a Girl Scout camp in Wisconsin, and then later at Atlantic Mountain Ranch and then at Outlaw Ranch in Custer. Exposed to kids, dogs, trucks, tractors, deer, large birds, and Lutherans who like to ring large bells, Scout seemed to shrug and she forgot to be afraid. Walking single file through the woods in winding lines of kids and other old horses, all of us singing boom diada boom diada at the top of our lungs, she settled into a quiet, steady wrangle horse. My confidence grew over those summers and I began to sort out other things in my life as well. My horse saved me. And horses continue to save us. If you've watched Jesse and me at Outlaw, you notice that we think about horses and we talk about them less as livestock than as co-workers. We know their bodies as well as we know our own. And we're a lot alike, and not just because we all like drinking out of the hose. Left unsupervised, we are all content to eat and nap away the day. But when someone bangs on the bucket or rings that bell, we go right to work. Jesse and I buckle the straps and open the gates, but the horses do the rest. They carry every kid with a solemn caution. They know every trail, and even when I make a mistake or take a wrong turn, my horse will lean in the right direction, 
sighing, grunting, circling back around till she finds a line in the grass that will lead us back to the corral, that will lead us back home. Scout, Cisco, Daisy, River, Laramie, Star. These are some of the longest one-on-one -on -one relationships that I've ever had. They get my jokes. They are patient with my shortcomings. And even with my slow, ungainly body, they allow me to be more graceful and elegant than I actually am. Working with horses gives me a way to be with people. Watching for their safety, I am gentler and kinder and more careful than I might normally be. I pay more attention to life. Every day, they save me. Thanks for listening and for your support. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Lowdown coming each month. Keep connected with us on social media. Give us a call or send us an email so we can stay connected. We hope you've been enjoying some of our virtual camp experiences this summer. As Mary reminds us in her stories, we will be in these sacred places that we love again. We will trust in that word of hope until we meet again.